Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Well, it's been a, a busy week. I'm Rob filling in for Faisal. So filling in for, we'll say small shoes. I think that's the normal <laughs> joke, isn't it? <laughs> Faisal's got bigger shoes right now on daddy duty. That's so right. Exactly right. There's a lot going on. There's been a lot happening in the market this week. Uh, I've been covering the media. Um, I'll, a couple highlights that I, I caught. First, uh, Bank of Canada coming out, um, showing some in, uh, surprise inflationary numbers on the rise yep. here in Canada. Yep. Um, that's an interesting one. What's that going to say for the next rate decision here early June? Yep. We can discuss that. And the bigger one that we were chatting about, uh, retail. Spending, right? Yeah. The consumer. Yeah, and it's it's there's some interesting uh, trends developing here. But before we get into those details, and we do want to get into the details, we've got a pretty interesting um, show set up for you today because lots of people have been traveling, and traveling has become very expensive. So the question is, how do you find deals in an environment like this? And are, do deals exist? So we want to explore that mm -hmm. a little bit. And there are some deals to be had out there. And then we also want to talk a little bit about capacity assessments. Now, I'm not sure that sounds super exciting to people, but this whole notion of estate planning and transitioning assets um, and wealth is becoming critically important. And if you don't spend the time up front to think about it properly, uh, there can be some real problems. So we want to explore this notion of capacity assessments. What's that mean uh, to each individual family? What do you have to do about it? Now, let's go back to um, let's go back to that inflation number for just a minute. Mm -hmm. So we saw Canadian inflation surprisingly move a tick higher than the previous month. And it was certainly higher than what was expected. We expected to see a drop. Mm -hmm. What do you take from that? So the big thing I took from it, one thing, it, I think it tilts the decision based on pause here in Canada. Is there a pause right now? Yeah. It tilts it further to, okay, do we have to raise going forward here? We were looking at kind of the market, bond market going forward, what's getting priced in. I just looked at it, uh, trending upwards to 40, 50% now right. that it could happen. Right, a probability being priced in that yeah. we could see another quarter point mm -hmm. hike. Yeah, you know what it does is it certainly um, it certainly lends credence to the um, argument about stickier inflation. Mm -hmm. Right, it's still taking time to come down. Now, keep in mind that the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Fed have really guided towards the end of 2024 right. to see it go down. But given the sensitivity of the market, any surprise to the high side is not going to be received particularly well. Mm -hmm. I think the other point that, that I caught too is that the biggest point of that inflationary number was shelter. Right. Right. So rents and mortgage costs increasing. Right. So in a sense, the Bank of Canada raising rates has raised their own inflationary number. And the question, you know, when you think about that is, is from a policy decision perspective, given what you just said, uh, does the Bank of Canada look through that? Yeah. Right. Um, and that'll really be the interesting. I, I think we got to follow the communication that the Bank of Canada gives with respect to that. Right. Because you're right. They could raise it further. That puts inflationary pressure higher if that's what's raising inflation. Right. So it's a bit of an interesting uh, an interesting point. And right. we have to wait and see what the bank is, how the bank will respond to that. Yeah. Now, retail sales, you're reporting a lot on. Um, and this is interesting, given that consumers, you know, you and I and uh, all our viewers and listeners are are the consumers that drive 70% of the GDP growth mm -hmm. in Canada and the United States, right? Yep. So what did they tell us? What did the what did the retail numbers tell us? It's a it's a mixed it's a mixed bag. And I, I think that the easiest way to break this down is sector of retail, because there's obviously different parts of retail. We all spend on different things. Right. 
Um, we'll start at the high, uh, high part for sure. So luxury goods. Um, Canada Goose came out this week. Um, earnings looked pretty good. They're, they're on pace. Right. Um, U.S. sales had pretty much stagnated and the huge increase in their volume was in Asia, mm. right? So it's moved from the U.S. to Asia. Asia's just reopened. Right. Right. So that's why they're getting that trade again right. here. Uh, stock didn't do too well, though afterwards well like, pre-market said it was going to do well and then it opened up and it was it took a it major nosedive right yeah, it was all over the map yeah right so there's a disconnect between what the analysts are saying and what investors are thinking on what their growth uh, and profit concerns are going forward for them if they can continue if the u.s after the asia trade slows on their spending reopening can the u.s pick that up we don't know yet yeah i mean that's the uncertainty of that going forward what about so that's the luxury market what mm-hmm. about sort of the Discount market. What's that looking like? Discount market. We had uh, TGX. So that is a lot of discount stores in the U.S. Uh, They had great earnings and they have guided expectations higher here uh, for the duration of the year. People are moving to those discount products. Well, and let's let's talk about that mid-market, right? So, So, you know, the average American, the average Canadian who might go and be looking at buying athletic wear from Foot Locker or something like that, mm-hmm. that mid-market space. That that was interesting and telling as well. Yeah, Foot Locker, they came out on Friday and they did not do well at all. And this is the second quarter in a row that they yeah. have guided lower. Um, and I think that that is the piece, right? Yes, discounts are doing well, right? Because people are looking for cheaper prices. We'll get to Walmart in a second. Yeah. But it's those pieces that discretionary items that people are going towards has slowed in the drastically middle class, right? in the in, middle. Yeah, in that middle yeah. class. That seems to be, again, one these individual data points don't necessarily make a trend, but that'd be pretty consistent with past economic slowdowns, right? It's the middle group that yep. downshifts to that, um, that discount brand, right? And we'll get to Walmart in just a second because it's interesting. Even within that group, there's a shift taking place. Luxury often doesn't get hugely impacted because, you know, the... Uber wealthy as an example, mm-hmm. they, they, they tend to just continue to spend through. Like they don't tend right. to get affected the way the rest of us mere mortals do, right? right. But what do the Walmart uh, results tell us? Walmart was fascinating. Now, I, I found this fascinating that 60% of Walmart's revenue now comes from groceries. Wow. So they are basically a discount grocery store now. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And so it also picked up on um, people coming, e- e-commerce, and then people coming to pick up. Yep. Right. So people are coming. Uh, my wife does the same. She goes and picks up there on the the name brands that are everywhere else at a cheaper price. Right. But she's not going into the store and buying electronics or clothing or anything else. Right. Now. Right. So it's not driving consumers into those discretionary items that is higher margin price for for Walmart. So they may see some margin pricing ahead. Right. Right, and they see because they're a bellwether of the gamut. If you go into Walmart, you have your basket, and you're doing all of your shopping in one place. Yep. Right, that's the trend. Yeah, just groceries. Makes sense. Listen, I, before we we got another say two minutes or so, but I think we should talk a little bit about the U.S. debt ceiling. We continue to move right. closer and closer to that. Uh, your thoughts, your takeaway on what and sort of the developments this week? Oh, uh, well, it. It's a back and forth. Um, I, I would say this. Uh, un- unfortunately, it's political. Yeah. It drives markets ups and up and down. 
based on some major unknowns and the uncertainty. Right, and it's gonna continue likely to do that. I think we've been here 70 times in history. Um, you know, if you look at the last 10 uh, times we've been here, uh, 2018 being the latest, what we've seen is actually the U.S. go through the date mm -hmm. that U.S. Treasury says we're out of money, right? So they go into this furlough period. 2018 was the longest furlough period of 35 days. And guess what happens when that happens? You get volatility in the equity markets. So the next few weeks, uh, you know, could be fraught with some volatility for that. And, and investors have to make a decision at this point. Do you think that a U.S. government default is in the cards or they're not paying their debt? Now, remember, their debt is the global risk-free rate. So that would be catastrophic if that happened. If you felt that that was the pro high probability outcome, mm -hmm. make sure that you're invested according to that. If that's not the high probability outcome, you might want to just brace yourself for, for them pushing through this as they play politics. And then if markets sell off, you look at 2018, Rob, we saw that market S&P 500 fall 16% uh, as we went through that period of, of uncertainty. Uh, the bottom of the market, I as I recall, was the 24th of December in 2018, and it re fully recovered by the tw uh, February 22nd, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever that is, six weeks of, of, of time. So there may, it may present a buying opportunity, right. too. We'll have to wait and see. But the uncertainty is going to likely create some volatility. Yeah. You know, Rob, a lot of people have had to forego travel for a long time. We're getting back to it, and it's happening kind of in droves, and that's driven costs up. Travel costs up about 11%, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, but, but, and people still want to travel, right? So how do, we, how do you work through this environment and you know, not put yourself into a ton of debt and create yeah. problems, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we had, we had a fun community event yesterday. Yeah. And a lot of conversations about you know, what people are doing in travel out of the pandemic. And we unveiled a, a, a membership program for, for discounts yeah. with high fanfare on some of them including travel yeah. so it was it, kind of fun it, it, it was fun and uh well received for for the members who were there yeah now if you know if you're not a member i guess well, how, how do we find yeah. how do we get discounts and how, how do we do these kinds of things anyway we've got a terrific guest to help us understand this omar kaiwan is co-founder of goose insurance and he's a canadian travel expert omar first of all welcome to the show thank you so much for having me guys all right, so you heard our setup here, travel costs are up and you know people are desperate to get out and resume some of the travel that they had to forego over the last little while. Um, just maybe give us a bit of a setup. Uh, as, as a travel expert, um, what do you see out there and, and do you anticipate that costs are gonna come down anytime soon? Um, I think, well, that's a million dollar question, right? Um, whether the costs are gonna come down or not. We're still trying to figure out um, if there will be. I mean, the expectation is that hopefully it will come down. I mean, that's what we're hoping for. But what we're seeing in terms of demand that consumers are still, uh, you know, planning on, on traveling. Um, with that being said, there are Canadians are making adjustments in terms of their travel plans. So if they were going to go for two weeks uh, of, of a holiday, they're maybe considering a 10 day or a week. Um, that's what we're seeing, at least on the insurance side, when we're actually selling insurance that the travel trip durations have um, dropped slightly. Um, but in terms of overall demand, people are still continuing to travel. Um, there is a lot of pent up demand. A lot of people haven't traveled, like you said, for the last few years. So it's still very top of mind and you know there's a lot of summer travel that we're expecting um, even if you look at the CATSA report the uh, um, uh, in terms of the total number of passengers that are 
uh, passing through the seven or 17 largest airports that we have across Canada, we are well above 2019 numbers. So uh, the travel season is here and people are traveling and Canadians are traveling despite the increase in, in travel. With that being said, I think there are a lot of people that are looking for deals more so than ever before. Uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, the, the discount or membership that you guys uh, unveiled, but it's, it's really, uh, people are, People are looking for ways to save up money and um, uh, and, and reduce their overall travel ex uh, expense. So give us some tips on that, I think, right? Is, if somebody wants to travel and aside from cutting maybe the amount of time, where, where can they look to try to find some of these deals or cut out some of those costs? Uh, that's a great question. I think the number one thing that I've been saying is that if you have points or you have been collecting any kind of points, now it's a good time to redeem them. Um, a lot of people have um, been, whether you're with, you know, we have different um, uh, travel plans, whether it's with your credit card or, or with your um, uh, or an airline, um, this is a good time to redeem them. And, and it's always wise to redeem your points for travel whenever you have enough because you don't want to be waiting and holding on to it because they can change the uh, value of the points in the system at any point. So uh, at, at any time, sorry. So it's a good idea to uh, redeem them if you can. Um, if you're not part of a loyalty program, sometimes it, it, they have deals and welcome offers. If you're staying with a hotel, for example, sign up, get those points and use them for some of your um, some of your stay um, for travel particularly consider destinations that you haven't gone to before but perhaps that where the Canadian dollar can go far we are seeing a, a, a slight reduction in the US uh, travel uh, volume that we're typically used to as Canadians because we are big fans of uh, tourist uh, travelers to the US so we are seeing uh, a drop in that when people are considering other destinations so you know this is this is this may be a good idea um, especially if you're planning on traveling later on in the year when um, you know we're getting a little bit of the the not so nice weather <laughs> you know going to some of the, the, the countries like Caribbean and Mexico and all that you know would be a good idea um, Europe travel also there's different destinations like Portugal for example has become a, a, a much bigger hotter destinations than it ever was before for Canadians just because the Canadian dollar does go further than other parts of Europe um, so these are these are some things to consider the other thing is if you are finding hotels because hotels are we're seeing a significant price hike in, in accommodations across the board, but particularly with hotel chains. I think in some parts of the world, it's a 35 to 40% increase in an average uh, um, daily rate or, or, or per night. Um, consider alternatives, you know, short-term rentals, Airbnbs, VRBOs is a good alternative um, to, to, to consider. Um, and you might actually be able to um, save a little bit more money because typically it comes with a kitchen. You can prepare your breakfast, your meals um, while you're on a vacation as well versus staying in a hotel where you kind of have to eat out. Um, speaking of which, budgeting including for how much you want to spend for meals is a very, very important component of any travel plans. If it's helpful to you, consider getting one of those prepaid uh, credit cards where you load them up um, with the total amount of money you want to spend. Of course, you want to take uh, some additional money and, and credit cards with you just in case if you need it, but make it as your main card to use while you're traveling. That also kind of helps you against any fraud, but also protects you um, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, you know exactly how much money to spend and stick to the budget. 
Omar, I guess with you know higher prices and and discounts of it, people looking for the best possible option out there. There's people that can try and take advantage of people doing that. Is there any kind of scams and things that people should be looking to avoid? Absolutely. If you are booking with a site, especially with that you're not used to or you haven't seen or it's not one of the major ones, double check, triple check. Um, we have seen one too many incidents where people are finding these random websites that apparently have deals, um, book their hotel and then they get to their destination and they say, we don't have a reservation. We're not affiliated with that website. We, we don't. So there's a lot of scams like that, unfortunately, that are happening. So if you are booking, try to book with a major site or airline that you're used to, that you have the confidence and trust. It doesn't happen all the time. So I don't mean to scare away your listeners, um, but it's something to be very, very aware of. If you haven't seen the brand or if haven't dealt with them, especially with these uh, site aggregators where you go in and you search for a flight and then all of a sudden you get a laundry list of websites to book on that you have not heard of. Double check, um, click on the about us, call them, you know, if they have a contact us button and, and, and you know, try to dig up and, and search the company on Google as well to see where they're located. That way it's a good way for you to consider. and. Um, you know, it's 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 unfortunately these things are happening more frequently than we have ever been used to. Um, but it is something very very important to be aware of. Anytime I think there is a high demand situation, mm -hmm. right? Um, like like in travel today, and then uh, people are price sensitive, right? It's an easy scam to put out there, mm -hmm. right? So the other thing I'd caution people is if it simply looks too good to be true. You, you should be cautious about right. that, right? Because it's an easy way to suck somebody in to show a big discount uh, relative to somebody else. And then it just simply, right. you know, not be legitimate. So that's, use your gut, right, yeah. uh, as well, because we've seen instances of that um, as well. From an insurance perspective, we got a minute or less. Uh, Omar, what should people be thinking about in today's travel environment? Is there anything that's changed um, from an insurance perspective that we need to be aware of? Um, not a lot has changed. I mean, most travel plans actually do include COVID-19. Um, there's COVID-19, unfortunately, still out there as a virus. So, um, you know, it's highly recommended for Canadians to never really travel outside of Canada, outside of their home province with any travel medical. That's kind of the basics. That's that's the that's the absolute minimum. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening nowadays, especially with flight delays and flight cancellations. And the headlines are uh, all, all over us are, are, are populated. With these, with these things. So uh, considering trip cancellation, trip interruption, especially if you have booked flights and accommodation that is non-refundable um, and your travel plans are set, uh, but you are worried about the unexpected, it is something really important to consider. Again, before you buy any kind of insurance, just take a few minutes to review the wordings and review the benefits and making sure that you know it meets your needs before you book it because every single policy is different. Of course, we're all unique and our destinations and travel plans are unique, so it's really important important to, to review and ask any questions uh, from a licensed agent uh, or agency that you're buying from um, before you actually purchase the policy. Thank you, Omar. We're going to have to leave it there. We've been joined by Omar Kaiwan, who's a co-founder of Goose Insurance, a travel expert as well. You know, Rob, um, I have an aging parent. You've got aging parents. Basil has aging parents. And <clears throat> as part of the estate documentation, there are a number of documents some of which require, or some of which get invoked if there's a lack of capacity. Mm -hmm. So this notion of capacity 
um, can be tricky right. at times. Now, there was, a, um, there was a court case that sort of came to our attention out of BC, which raised some interesting issues about, uh, about capacity and whether or not um, you can force a capacity assessment mm. on, say, an aging parent. Uh, and given that capacity is central to a lot of things, we thought we should explore this a little bit, and nobody better to do that with than Catherine Zhang, who is a partner at Welsh uh, LLP and a re regular recurring guest, helping us understand all the complexity of estate planning. Welcome back to the show, Catherine. Thank you for having me. So um, maybe you just start with this notion of capacity and what a capacity assessment is, and then we'll maybe get into a little bit of the nuance here. Sure. So um, capacity is a really general word and it's used um, in specific circumstances depending on what you're you're dealing with so you know capacity deals with okay were you able to understand something or you know were you of sound mind to be able to make a decision uh, and in the estate world we always kind of refer back or ask the further question well make a decision about what uh, because capacity can have different tests depending on if you're looking at a will or a power of attorney uh, and we know there's different capacity uh, tests um, for family law so um, yeah it really is an important issue and of course um, for the power of attorney and personal directive so a document that deals with your finances or your health care um, those documents typically uh, get invoked on incapacity so I know that it's typically a very um, uh, it's a very important word that people pay attention to uh, and want to kind of understand what that means now, there was an instance, this, this court case that uh, we're going to discuss in BC was an instance where uh, some of the family members were trying to have a capacity assessment done on an aging parent. The aging parent uh, did not want to participate in that. And it, um, it raised some, I suppose, some of the complexities around this notion of capacity. So can you give us a little bit of background on what the problem was? Um, well, it appears from the BC case uh, that uh, there were some concerns that had been raised uh, from members of the community about um, an elderly parent's ability to, you know, manage their property. And so that was brought, that concern was brought over to the son. Um, and um, as a result, the son decided that he, it might be a good idea to bring an application to the court uh, to, um, to be able to help him, uh, to be able to help mom and dad with making decisions about their property. Now, um, the one thing to note that is the application was brought pursuant to legislation in BC and it required uh, as to, in order to be successful um, two assessments about an adult's capacity or about the elderly parent's capacity. And so the in, in this particular case we could just sort of maybe cut to the end of it. The, the elderly parent parents decided they did not want to participate or have another capacity assessment done. What are the implications, what happened and what are the implications uh, of this? Well, um, uh, yeah, to give a background on um, what happened in this case is um, originally the elderly parent had agreed to provide a capacity assessment report. And so um, I forget if there was an illness or an injury that precipitated a first visit to the hospital. And at that time, um, there was 
uh, capacity assessment done and it was not favorable to the parent. Um, the parent subsequently got another capacity assessment um, and that one indicated that yes, the parent did have capacity and that is often the case. I mean, I think um, when an elderly parent uh, presents the first time at a hospital, there could be a lot of competing things that have contributed to their, their circumstance. So, you know, a finding of incapacity at one moment does not necessarily mean they're, you know, they've got ongoing incapacity issues. Um, so nevertheless, the second capacity assessment came back and confirmed that uh, the elderly parent had capacity. Um, and at that point, um, the the son had asked for it. Well, I mean, we have two, they're conflicting reports. I'd like to get a third one. And at that point, the uh, the elderly parent declined um, and said, well, no, I, I have capacity. I don't need this additional report. And so uh, that precipitated an application in court uh, to compel or request the adult to get a third capacity assessment done. Uh, and that was declined by the court. And I think, um, you know, in outlining its reasoning, the court did say, you know, as a default position, we presume, unless there are other factors that indicate otherwise, that an individual is going to have capacity. And um, I'll note that the Alberta legislation, the Adult Guardianship and Trusteeship Act, um, starts you off in the same position. You are presumed to have capacity unless uh, somebody else bringing an application can show or satisfy the court that there are reasons for concerns and convince the court that um, an extra assessment is necessary. Um, I think, you know, this ultimate decision from the court, I think it's a, a good decision in, in that, um, you know, and they're always very fact specific, but the court in this instance looked at uh, what the circumstances were, um, factors surrounding the first capacity assessment report, the second capacity assessment report, um, and then other factors that were specific to uh, the events leading up to um, why the elderly parent um, was in court to begin with. And um, I think this decision kind of confirms that, all right, um, if you have a capacity assessment report and you can satisfy the court, um, or, well, you can't satisfy the court uh, that there is a reason to be concerned uh, for this adult, they're not going to arbitrarily force an elderly parent to get, to get one done. Um, I mean, ultimately here, I think the court also looked at health considerations, safety considerations, and the relationship between the parent and the child, too. Yeah. Capacity is going to become, well, capacity is, is uh, a huge issue. I think the court's position makes sense, right? I think you would want, um, you know, you'd want to have somebody have to prove incapacity um, and use capacity as the, as the baseline. But with a parent that has dementia, like I do, there's going to be a period of time, you know, between where that, you know, my mom was fully functioning to a time where there is, um, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. a clear and consistent incapacity, that that's going to be a pretty slippery um, a period of time for people and can be difficult to manage. So I can imagine that complexity um, is something that we're going to have to, to think through. Um, Rob, we had a really interesting community session this past week uh, where we spoke about uh, sort of reestablishing your purpose in mm -hmm. retirement. It was our number one best attended event that we've ever held. And that told me something. 
right? It, and and we, we put this event on um, principally because we saw that people were, I think, getting a little bit derailed or had been derailed, right? right? COVID derailed us in a number of ways. And, you know, um, one of the, you know, one of the jokes I made in, in the presentation was, you know, nobody ever sits with me or you and says, hey, the, my purpose in retirement is to make sure that in the morning I read the news so that I can be so frustrated and angry about the political situation in my country <laughs> that it destroys my day, right? And, you know, a bunch of people uh, put up their hands and laugh. Yeah, that's the experience we're having. Well, that's not the experience we're signing up for, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of purpose was really fun to, um, to revisit. I think it was fun, too, in a community setting because you got, we're not retired, right? So you got that community feel of people saying, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what right. I'm going through. And a great speaker that kind of guided us through, you know, how to how to re-engage yourself and find your purpose and, and find out what you're actually doing and if it's worthwhile. And this was interesting, right? Because we contend and we talk with, with people a lot about... Um, what their lifestyle is. And, and, and here's the thing is if, you know, today we'll spend the full day with activities. Everybody that we know will do something today and we'll spend our 24 hours that we get allocated for today. Mm -hmm. The question is, are we spending our time doing the right things, right? And this is what we were challenging people to get back down to their sort of their values and, and, and what the meaning of their, uh, of their experience in retirement is going to be or what we call the, the, the purpose. And so I was, you know, we were challenging people through this to start thinking about, okay, so I think it's difficult to go up the chain. What I mean by that is I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to do a bunch of activity. If those, if the process of those, of determining what activities you're going to do isn't thoughtful, they can just be a bunch of random activity. Mm -hmm. If it's purposeful and it's, it's with intent, then if you do a series of activities that they will bundle together to become an experience for you. And if you're purposeful and, and, and with intent on the experiences you're having and you bundle them together, right, you, you drive up to this bigger picture, this meaning or purpose, insert whatever word you're comfortable with there, right? But it's hard to go in that direction, right? right? I, I think you, ha you have to start with the, with the meaning or the purpose first and then work backwards from that and you get some clarity. And the, one of the things that, that I see people doing is filling their time with stuff and things, and if they're just filling their time with stuff and things that don't roll up to some bigger purpose, they're actually wasting their money, mm -hmm. right? Because think about it. We've got, you're, you're, you're in Canada. Now, regardless of what you think of the political situation, we're safe in Canada, right? We do have the right to vote if you're not happy with it. We have the right of freedom of speech. The people that we talk to and deal with are accomplished in their own right, right? Many of them have amassed wealth. Um, and, and then we move into this period of retirement in now you're given this gift of time. Mm -hmm. It's a real, it's, it's a, if you think about it in that context, we're amongst the most fortunate people that have ever walked the face of the planet Earth yep. throughout history, right? It's just, it's an amazing opportunity. And when we get derailed, right, and, and we don't stop and think and pause and go back and be purposeful in terms of what we're trying to do, right, you can end up just with a bunch of stuff and things. And you're stuff just and, filling and, time. You're just filling it, right? And yeah. how many people do you know that have got toys? And those oh, yeah. toys are just sitting in their garage or their shed right now because they're not getting used. So they were bought, used a little bit, and they're there. Pandemic uh, toys. <laughs> yeah. Got all the toys. <laughs> I don't really use them that much. So, so I thought it was a very interesting, and, and of course, the conversation was fascinating, what people were thinking about, writing down. 
most people were getting back to, in a very short period of time, this notion of their personal values. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of people struggling with the idea of what they're retiring to, right? They were clear on what they were leaving. Many people's entire self-identity is tied up in the work that they did. And now there's this transition where I'm not that anymore. What am I? Right? And so it's, uh, I think it's a very slippery slope for people if we don't pause right. at moments um, and reflect personally and then also reflect as a couple. Because remember the conversation around, uh, you know, the couples, like questions were asked, well, do, do we have to do everything together? It was, it was interesting. Remember? It, it was interesting. Was, uh, I talked to a couple uh, gentlemen at the event mm -hmm. and their wives did, they were out golfing. Right. They had sent their husbands. Right. And it, and it's, and it's, and it's fascinating. Uh, there, there tends to be one of the two. And if it's a couple, one of the two that tends to be, um, more, hmm, they figured out their retirement experience before right. the other person. Right. Right. And, and so that conversation was, was pretty fascinating as couples sat down and they realized, well, wait a minute, we haven't spent 24 seven together our whole lives. Right. So yeah, it probably doesn't make sense <laughs> that we're 24 seven. Right. And I would suggest you think very strongly <laughs> about that. <laughs> That's <all> right. <laughs> uh, but what it did drive them back down to very quickly was a, was a process of, of let's look at the personal values and based on my personal values, what are my personal interests? Those personal interests differed from their partners in many respects, but of course there were some, there were some areas of overlap. Mm -hmm. And that's that Venn diagram that we love to talk about so much, right? Be clear, um, do the exercise individually to figure out what it is, what your meaning and purpose is as an individual. Right. Sit down if you're in a, in a partnership or you have a spouse, sit down with that person after that's been done on both sides and reflect on it. And two things have to come out of that. Here's the overlap, great. We can be excited and engaged together on those things. The, the second most important thing, uh, the takeaway, is respect the boundaries and the interests that are outside of your collective, uh, your collective interests, right? Because you have to give your partner the respect and freedom and right to pursue those things on their own. And if you don't, it creates some so how we say this politely, family dynamics, <laughs> right? That you may not want to have, right? Yeah. So I, I, I thought it was a really, really entertaining session. It was great. Yeah, it was great. I, I, I found another one interesting. I had some uh, clients in their, let's call it their second chapter. Mm -hmm. right? Or third chapter. Yeah, deep right? into the third chapter. Yep. Right. Uh, into their 90s. Right. And and I had a good conversation with them and said, what, what drove you to want to come and, and listen to this presentation right. and, and have the conversation. And and they said, Rob, we wanted to see how we, we did. And I said, well, that's interesting. They, 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 it was actually a report card. They wanted to see if they fulfilled a purpose and they could reflect back. So it was a point of reflection for them. And talk to their kids about it, right? Yeah. It was and, interesting. And, and that's what it was. Yeah. Right. And they said, yeah, some wins, some not. <laughs> yeah, but some overall, wins. not bad. Right. But, but the conversation went beyond that about this notion of being purposeful, right? When, they, when, they, when he was talking about him in particular, talking about, yeah, there were some areas I could have done differently. I should have spent some more time thinking about that, right? Yeah. Because there was some time spelt, uh, spent with stuff and things, right? Yeah. Just kind of filler stuff. And listen, I'm not saying you have to be active um, 
and totally focused every moment of every day. That that's not the case, right? right. Relaxation is a part of it, and so on and so forth, which was a, another interesting conversation that came up, right? And it can change. It can change. But how many people said they were more engaged and more busy in retirement, at least they felt that way, than in their career? Yep. Lots, right? So there's lots of people that have um, that also have been purposeful and thoughtful yeah. in what they're trying to accomplish. And those are really high quality uh, outcomes for uh, for retirement. Really fun to talk about those. One, it, 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 it helps us in our job on the finance side mm-hmm. too, right? I mean, it, it's some self-work. It's some do-yourself work that you need to go through. But if we know someone's purpose and we know that the funding could be used differently or more efficiently to provide for that purpose. Right. That helps our job. Too. Well, it, it helps our job and it helps us provide that extra coaching because it's impossible to, to stay entirely focused all the time, right? Right. But, uh, but as a team, and, and that's what we challenge everybody, don't be surprised if we're asking about your purpose and purpose and purpose and purpose because if you tell us, we can hold you, I'm not going to say accountable, but we can make sure that we help you stay on that track, right? To accomplish what you want. Anyways, this is going to be a big part of our focus in the conversation at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, you got it. Join us Tuesday, May 23rd, 7 p.m. This will be in person at the Silver Springs Golf and Country Club. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, well, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on QR Calgary. Uh, if you're interested in any of our past segments or if you want to sign up for our podcast, you go to morethanmoneyradio.com or you can have them directly delivered to you. uh, Just search up More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast. Thanks for joining us. On behalf of Rob and myself, we'll talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.